Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 6, or you can grab one of the Bibles in front of you and turn to page number 292, 292, page 292, we're in our series of 1 Samuel, and we're in the first section of that, a man who heard from God talking about the life of Samuel. We've kind of, as the scriptures have taken us on a little detour away from Samuel to give you a little bit of a broader um, perspective in relationship to the Ark of the Covenant. And today's message is entitled, What Will You Do With God? What Will You Do With God? We're going to be going through the whole chapter of 1 Samuel 6 and then leading that right over into the first couple verses of chapter 7. So we've been talking a lot about the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God. And we got to revisit a little bit. I know Brian a few weeks ago preached on the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God in relationship to kind of what was happening and why they took the ark to the battlefield, why they felt it was an important thing, although it was wrong, how they thought that if they could have the presence of God there, that he would somehow change the battle line. Last week, we talked about the Philistines and how God, now that they had this trophy of the Ark of the Covenant, that somehow they thought that this was going to give them um, you know, cred, so to speak, to say, hey, man, we got the Ark of the Covenant. Um, we beat their God, this God Jehovah that everybody talks so great about. We beat him. And you see how in chapter 5, as we went through that, how God gave the Philistines an opportunity to recognize that it had nothing to do with them winning a battle but their response to God, the Philistine nation, that is. And he gave them two chances in his mercy by having Dagon, their God, bow down, and then even having him break in half and his hands bust off, his head break off, and gave them two chances in a merciful way to acknowledge that Jehovah God was God. They rejected that, and as a result, God brought judgment in. And we're going to hear kind of some of the carryover of that in today's message because they rejected him. So now here we're faced in this chapter here, with a few different responses to God. And I just want to really encourage you today, as we get into this passage, is to ask yourself that question, what will you do with God? Or maybe the greater question is, what have you already done with God? But in consideration of that, if you're here as a child of God, we can sometimes have a tendency to not treat God as the holy, righteous God that he is, And if you're here without God, I want to encourage you today about the gift of salvation that he presents through his son that we're going to hit on today. So we're back to this Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God in chapter 6. I want to read over a few from verse number 1 to verse number 12 is where the section is. I'm going to kind of break it down. And our first thought today is when I talk about our responses to God, the first one is the group of people that would reject him. They reject God. They say no to God. The Philistine nation had been seeing God's mercy, they saw God's judgment, and they reject God. And this is a very interesting section here when you see that these people of all people that should have been aware of the fact that they had seen Jehovah God still in chapter 6, it's almost as if they're just still not quite sure if these plagues came from Jehovah God. So let's start in verse number 1. The first response, again, we see there is they reject him in verses 1 to 12. It says this, the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. They're kind of thick-headed people, seven months of this. 
And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us what we shall, excuse me, tell us with what we shall send it to its place. Verse three, they said, if you send away the ark of God to, of Israel, don't send it empty, but by all means return him, or I'm talking about God, a guilt offering. Then you'll be healed and it'll be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. Verse four. And they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on all your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off of you and your gods and your land. So the Philistine leadership gets together and then they call all their religious people. They get them all together and go, guys, this ark thing is not working. And why were they having such a hard time giving it up? Because it was their trophy. They had defeated the Israelites. We want to give this up. This is their God, so to speak, the way that they viewed it in their mind. We're not going to turn that back over. Seven months later, after all that they saw, death and destruction, they finally go, we got to do something with this thing. We don't want it anymore. So what do we do with it? We need to get out of the land. Well, how are we going to do that? Let's get the religious leaders in here. They can help us out. So they bring them in there, and they go, okay, guys, what do we do? They say, well, first of all, you can't send them back empty-handed. You know even to your gods that when you do something, you have a guilt offering. You have to give something to them. So you have to ask the question, why in heaven's name would you think of gold tumors and gold mice? I mean, come on. What do you think of God that you do that? Because in their culture, oftentimes, the offering would represent the, the, the plague, the struggles that they had gone through. And, and as, as a result of what most scholars think was probably the black plague that they had, that they had grown tumors from it, and that it was spread by mice, or that mice were, were, the, were the infestation of it, that those would be the representation, and therefore they were kind of giving back to that God, hey, we recognize this and we're giving this back, but in gold form because of the value that it had there. So they said, you got to give something, you got to go back, because you got to say, we, the guilt offering was saying, we were wrong. And that was a huge step for the Philistines. Because what they were in essence acknowledging is that Jehovah God was a greater God than their gods were. Now here's the hard part. Then why didn't they just turn to him? Why? And then I think of how hard-headed that we can see in our own lives and in our culture. How can you not get up in the morning and see the sunrise and see the handiwork of God and to be able to see the way that God intervenes and see the God stories we talked about? How can we do that and both through our day, oftentimes not even stop, stopping to acknowledge him? No wonder we have a world that's rejecting God when they don't even see the children of God taking time to acknowledge the awesome and mighty power. Sometimes the Christians in the workplace are the worst workers. They're the most critical, the biggest gossipers. They have the worst marriages. Now, the devil certainly is attacking in all those areas, but for us to see through the power and strength of God, even through those difficulties, how we can be an example. Sometimes our example is saying, hey, I blew it with my wife right last night, and I had to tell her I was wrong and make that right. That blows people away, or vice versa, wife to husband. Hey, man, I really blew it in my parenting with this, and man, God convicted me I had to do this. Those are ways of testimony. And this nation of the Philistines had every opportunity to be able to acknowledge Jehovah God, and they didn't. And even to this point where they're going to send the ark back, acknowledging their fault. 
and yet not acknowledging that he could be and should be their God. How tragic. So what happens next? It says uh, in verse number six, you can tell they paid attention to history. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? And he had dealt severely with them. Did they not send the people away and they departed? So they read, hey, we do not want to be like the Egyptians. Everybody knows what happened when they messed with Jehovah God. We all know about those plagues. I mean, we're talking about a non-Judaic nation that still heard the news about what, how, how horrible things had happened to Egypt. Word had gotten around. And they're like, we got to do something because we certainly want to learn from history, and we don't want God's hard hand to come down on us like he came down on Egypt. Now, remember, they had already suffered all kinds of terrible, torturous situations as a result of the rejection. But they saw that as small in relationship to what the nation of Egypt had gone through. So here's their plan, verse 7. Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke. And yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put in a box on its side the figures of gold which you're returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go on its way and watch. Just a brilliant decision they come up with. I just think it's funny of all the ways they could. So they do this. They get these milk cows, which by the way weren't the normal uh, animals that you had pull a cart. So you get the milk cows. You're going to see why they do, because uh, it's very, you know, interesting. So you get the milk cows on top of it, one that never had a yoke on them, and then they get this wagon. They put the ark up on the wagon, and they put these, these gifts that they're going to give to uh, the Israelites, to their, to their, to their God um, on, the, on the cart there. And then, then listen to this. It says, and watch, verse, first part of verse 9. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. <laughs> but if not, then we shall know it's not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. Are you kidding me? Okay, now, guys, if, this, if these cows go to the right town, then we know that all that hardship we dealt, that was because it was all God, Jehovah. But if not, then it was just a coincidence. Really? I mean, you got to think of it sometimes, how creative people have to be to disacknowledge the hand of God. The things they'll jump through. You know, I love how patient God is with us, though. So God, what does he do? God shows himself regardless. Verse 10. The men did so and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. So normally, what would happen is the cows wouldn't want to go back to their calves, Okay. In verse 11, and they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their, of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. So what does God do? The Philistines go, let's see if this really is God. We'll put their calves over here in this barn. We're going to send them in the opposite direction. And if it's really God, they're going to go to the right town, and they're not going to turn around, which would be their natural instinct, and come back to where their calves were at. And what's the Bible say? They went straight away, but they were, they were um, lowing the whole way. What's the word there? Lowing the whole way. Basically, 
you could tell they were, that, the, that whole concept is they were not doing this happily. <laughs> These cows were not happy about this. They're complaining the whole way. Sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? Complains the whole way to go there, but they keep going. You said, the Bible says they didn't go to the right hand or the left. They went all the way there. And the lords of the Philistines followed to see. And again, I see such a tragedy here because you see a nation, the Philistine nation's history could have been so different if they just would have acknowledged as their God. It wasn't that they didn't acknowledge that Jehovah God was a God, but that he was the God and repented of their sins and accepted him. Much like the salvation story of redemption. For us to come to a point to acknowledge that we can't do this, that Christ was sent by God Jehovah to die on the cross for our sins so that we might have redemption. And how many people reject it? How many people, it seems as if God screams in their face his story of redemption and they shut themselves out to it. And I plead with you today if you're here and you don't know Christ, don't make it academic. Don't make it if I get better in my life. Don't make it if I can just handle this or if I can just get here. Just come to a point of repentance and feel, find the forgiveness of God and the restoration of a relationship with God, becoming alive in him. So that was their response. The Philistine nation rejected him. Verse 13, though, we see that there's a group of people that received and rejoiced in him, starting in verse 13. And the Bible says this. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were recap, reaping their harvest, wheat harvest in the valley, and when they lifted up their eyes and saw, <clears throat> excuse me, saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. These people, it was probably May or June, that's usually when the harvest was. Beth Shemesh, by the way, was a Levitical city. If you remember back to Numbers in Deuteronomy, there were certain cities that were given to the Levites and the priests as they had as their own. And this is one of those. Beth Shemesh was a Levitical city. And that's where they ended up. So these were guys who knew what the temple, or excuse me, tabernacle at this time, worship was all about. They were very well aware of it. And when they saw the ark, they stopped what they were doing. They ran to the ark and they rejoiced because finally the ark of God was back again. Finally, they were able to have restoration for something that they had lost, that they thought they, were, they had come to a point of hopelessness, like, we're never going to get it back. We got beat by the Philistines. We can't go back and fight against them. But God showed them that he was greater than the Philistines and that even this ark that nobody would have thought had any power, that the Philistine nation sent it back to them because of the work of God, and they received it, and they rejoiced in it. This group that had felt as if God had abandoned them saw this cart go about 10 to 15 miles to their town and their hope was restored and they worshiped God. Now, unfortunately, just so we understand kind of their mindset still, they were excited about things, but we need to understand something. They didn't follow the law in how they decided to do the sacrifice, though. Now, true, the Levites were able to do temple performing temple, or excuse me, temple or tabernacle ceremonies. But what happened here is important. First of all, if you read, and you're going to write this down for later, if you look into Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 3, or Leviticus chapter 22 and verse 19, they should have never sacrificed female cows. It was male cows, not female cows. 
So that was the first thing they shouldn't have done. And then also they made a sacrifice that wasn't made in the tabernacle. And you can see where God gives that instruction in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. So they were excited. And you know, you can just, it's almost as if God says, okay, I know you're trying to rejoice and you're trying to celebrate me. You're not doing the right way. You don't see God's judgment by any means there. But it's important for us to see that because we're going to hit on something a little bit later, that they had forgotten the directions of God. They'd forgotten the commands of God. Now, these individuals had been in a point of hopelessness. And you see that God had a purpose and a plan even in this. And I encourage you today to receive and rejoice in who God is. I think that we get in a point, as I mentioned earlier, where we just stop thanking God. We complain. We complain because it's too hot out, or it's too rainy out, or it's too cold out. We complain when we have to turn the air conditioner on, and we complain when we have to turn the heat up. We complain when we have to go work in the morning, and we, have to com- and we complain when we have to go back to the family at night sometimes. We complain about the food that we have, the car that we drive. We complain about so many things that that has become almost a cultural norm that we are this negative people. And, and I'm afraid that even in that, we have gotten a mindset where we've stopped just taking time to rejoice in who God is and what he has done. I mean, folks, if alone we could rejoice in the fact that we are his blood-bought children, that should be enough to carry us from now to eternity. If you're here in his child and, and you are his child, when was the last time you just stopped and said, God, thank you for saving me? Have you taken time maybe to start a journal of the things you can thank God for instead of that list of stuff you want to ask God when you get to heaven? How about just saying, Lord, thank you for, thank you for, thank you for, thank you for. It's amazing how that changes things. And I hate to say this, but I find that we have to almost come to points of being parched and feeling abandoned and being broken, that we finally turn our eyes back and say, wow, God, you're a great God. Can we today repent of our sin of ungratefulness and ask God to help us to rejoice again, regardless of what the weather's like, regardless of what my family's acting like or not acting like, regardless of the balance of my bank account or this condition of my vehicle, or if I'm getting good or bad grades in school, or if all my relationships are wonderful or horrible, but we rejoice because God is God. He's a sovereign, loving God. He's got a perfect plan and purpose for our life, especially in the midst of difficulties. These Israelites saw the ark come back, and they stopped, and they received the ark, and they rejoiced in what God had done. I think it's important that we recognize as we continue on That was a wonderful thing, and that was a wonderful beginning, and I wish we could stop in verse number 18, but we can't, because then it says this, verse 19, and he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Ha, what a tragic verse. But see, I think the problem was, is we can get into a situation where we humanize God. See, here's God, and they forgot that the ark contained, quote-unquote, the presence of God on earth, 
And so as a result of that, they got that familiarization with it, and we wanted to see. Now, maybe they even had good intentions. Maybe we wanted to pop open the ark to see if the items that were placed in there earlier were still there. We don't know that. It could have been good intentions. It could have been curiosity. But they forgot what God said in relationship to how they handled the ark of God. And 70 of them, we don't know how many looked, but we know 70 died. So they go from this, yes, we got the ark back to, oh, look at the death, the heartache. Because they looked inside, because they humanized God. I worry about that sometimes. Sometimes I, I'm afraid that some of the things that we sing and we talk about and, and we look at when it relates to God, that we want to humanize him so much that in the, in the presence of that, we forget the holiness of God. I mean, when you think of the snapshot we get in the scriptures of going into the throne room of God, and what, there, are, there are cherubims that are only one job as they flap in the air and cover their eyes is to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and always will be over and over and over and over again about the holiness of God in the throne room of God. And I, I, I'm afraid that the reason it was so easy for them to pop the lid on the ark and to peek inside because they lost the holiness aspect of God. And I love that we understand that the personal applications of Scripture, we need that. But I'm afraid along the way that we forget how holy and awesome and powerful and wonderful Jehovah God really is. Do you ever just focus on his attributes? Now, what I love about that is the more I focus on how great God is, the more magnificent the fact that he loved me so much that he would send Christ to die on the cross for my sins. <laughs> I'm so undeserving. We are so undeserving. But this amazing God that created this planet out of nothing, that brought the land up and created the birds and the animals and the flowers and the trees, and he created you and he created me. And then we messed it up as humanity and he loved us so much he sent Christ to die on the cross that we might have redemption. And when he rose from the grave, he went to heaven to prepare. If that wasn't enough, he's preparing for us today a mansion and a place of eternal bliss that we'll get to experience ourselves when we enter into heaven. But let's not neglect the holiness of God in our humanization of him. He is still God, and we're not. So that means there's sometimes things that just doesn't make sense, and we're still called to be obedient. That's hard. There's going to be things on this earth that you're never going to understand until you get to heaven, and then it's not going to matter. And you're going to wrestle with that. And I know way too many Christians that throw their towel in on Christianity because they can't figure something out. And I tell them, Folks, as hard as that is, you've got to realize we're talking about the God of eternity that never had a beginning and will never have an ending, that created all this and sent his son to die on the cross. You're never going to fully get him. But we strive day by day in our sanctification process to understand better and better who he is and how I can be like him. This amazing day of celebration turned into a day of mourning because of the choices that were made. And we see as we continue on, verse 20, then the men of Beth Shemesh said, who's able to stand before the Lord 
this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? The result of what happened there struck them to the core when they said, we can't have the ark here. We are not worthy. And by the way, the ark didn't belong there anyways. It belonged in the tabernacle where they could come and they could worship. So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirith-Jerim. Now, there's no idea that's given anywhere why Kirith-Jerim was picked. All we know about Kirith-Jerim from studies is that it was actually a hub of Baal worship. So it seems kind of odd that they send the Ark of the Covenant there. Why not to where the tabernacle was? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But that's what they go. They go and they say to him, will you take it? The Philistines return the Ark of the Lord. Come down and take it to you. Verse 1 of chapter 7, And the men of Kirith-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill, and they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. Now, all that sounds good, in, but not in context. Well, this is great. They finally got to a place. They kind of got a guy who's got a, you know, in charge of the ark and is going to take care of it. But the problem is this. The ark should have gone to the tabernacle. That's where it should have gone so they could worship and go back and practice the things God laid out in the first five books of the Bible so that they understood that he had it all laid out for them. And I think it reflects back to this, that another challenge that we have and that these individuals had is they minimalize God. Well, we can, it doesn't really matter. We don't have to obey what God tells us to do. I mean, we got the ark back. We got a guy that we've ordained to oversee it. It's going to be in a permanent spot. We should all be good. But no, God laid these things out for a reason, folks. I had somebody a couple weeks ago say this to me. Pastor John, why do you make such a big deal about people being at church? And I stopped because I thought they were joking. I'm like, what? Yeah, I mean, you, you just seem to always talk about I'm like, I didn't come up with this idea, folks. God did. Man, God forbid that John was the one to write the rules. We'd all be in trouble. And I think we have a tendency to look at God's commands as suggestions. God's the one that says we need to be here. Not me. He's the one that says we need this. He's the one that commands us to do communion. He's the one that says we need to take baptism as a first step of obedience. He's the one that says we're supposed to give a portion of what we get. He's the one that says we're supposed to be about serving. He's the one that says we're supposed to forgive those who sin against us. He's the one that lays out how I'm supposed to act as a husband or a wife or a child or a parent. Folks, these are all in the scriptures. I didn't make this up. The elders and I didn't get together and put the UPCC handbook of conduct. God did it. But see, when we minimalize God, then we think that we have an opportunity to design it the way we want it to be. I love trying to do that, by the way. But it never works out because it's not God's way. If you've been a parent of a small child, you know the frustration when you're trying to help your child. You know, when they're first starting to walk and you say, don't run, don't run, and they, they fall on their face and they get scraped up and they cry and they look at you like, why did you let this happen to me? And you're like, are you kidding me? I told you not to run. Or when you say, hey, don't eat too much candy. And they sneak and they get it and they get a stomach ache. And you're like, really? There's these simple things that we look at as parents and we go, you're knuckleheads. And I wonder how many times God says it about me. 
but I'm afraid that we minimalize God. And we want him to fit into our wallet, to be able to be pulled out when I need him, to be able to be taken like a genie in a lamp to say, God, take care of this one, to be able to pick and choose the things from Scripture that I want to do and leave out the ones I don't really want to do, and then we justify it. Well, if we had a better church, I'd be maybe excited about going there. Well, Lord, if it was easier to serve, but you know how many times I have to work and what that looks like? Well, if my wife would just change, Lord, I'd be a great husband. Well, if my kids would just listen to me, God. Well, Lord, if you gave me more money, then I could actually give something back to you. But see, God's the one that laid this out, and I'm going to share a secret with you. It's because he knew we needed this. And how he must shake his head sometimes when we go, I know what you said, God, but. Now, here's a really tragic verse. I know we've already read a couple of them, but read this one. Verse 21. Verse, uh, verse 2. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kirith Jerem, a long time past, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. 20 years in the wrong place. Now, folks, since we've kind of forgotten about Samuel in the midst of these last couple of chapters, this is the environment that Samuel's ministering in. These are the people that God called Samuel to love and instruct. This was his ministry, his mission field. Let's stop minimalizing God. 20 years. You know what's great? After 20 years, King David comes along, and things change, and God's put back where he should be. And I love that God is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. I don't care how many times you've messed up, how many times you've dropped the ball, how many times you've fallen flat on your face. We have this amazing God that forgives us. He picks us up, and he wipes us off, doesn't mean we're not going to still have this, the reminders, the scars. And he takes us on our way. And if we just would remember that along the way, we never get too old that we shouldn't be clasping tightly the hand of God. The hand of God. So here's a couple takeaways for you as we wrap up this morning. My first question is, will you accept his gift? See, we can't come to God on our terms. We have to come to God on his terms. His terms are through Jesus Christ. The Philistines, boy, they try to do it their way. You see at least this flavor of the Bashemeshanites, or whatever you call them, and they got a little taste of it, and then, man, they went off the deep end, and then, boy, it just kind of sits and collects dust for 20 years, and the next town, folks, God says there's one way there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. We can't come to God saying, but I'm a good person, God. I'm better than my parents were. I'm better than that guy is or that girl is. No, we come to God one way, and that's acknowledging that we're a sinner and realizing that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins, and we accept his gift that we might be his children. And if, again, you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that today. We accept his gift. Will you take time to properly worship him? Man, we all usually can find time to do social media on our phones and watch funny videos 
and to watch Netflix and Hulu and other stations that are out there. We find time to go to the park and we find time to do the projects around our house even. But do we find time to worship God? It's not going to just happen, folks. Yeah, every once in a while you're going to get a sunrise and it's almost like God's yelling at you going, Hello, I'm God, do you see this? But a lot of times it's the subtle stuff. It's the little things. But you've got to take the time to discipline yourself, to go, Lord, help me to take some time to focus on you and who you really are today. Will you take some time to purposefully worship him? If you haven't, I beg of you to do that. It keeps everything in the proper focus. The third thing is, will you adopt a biblical worldview? We can't humanize God. We can't minimalize God. We've got to understand that God has a worldview, and we have to embrace his worldview that's laid out in his word. If we don't do that and we justify our actions, we are getting off course to the principles and practices that he laid out. And the last one, which is a broad one, is just a simple question. Will you obey him today? And when you don't, will you confess it as sin and ask him to forgive you of your sins? That's the way he's laid it out. I hope that you've learned from this as we get back into Samuel's life in chapter 7. Some important stuff, and we come back to the question we asked at the beginning, the title of the message, what will you do with God today? You can leave here, forget all about this time. You can contemplate, you can dig in, but you have a choice with what you're going to do with God when you leave this space today, and then on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and so on. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for just the way you allow us to be able to be convicted by it, God. Thank you for the way that you hit me with this even as I prepared. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just help us as a people to really make sure that we make the right choice about who you're going to be in our life. Thank you for your love and your care and your concern for us day by day. In your precious name, amen.